Hi, and thank you for joining us today on this Ropes and Gray podcast. I'm Dan Ward, a partner in our litigation and enforcement group based in Boston. Joining me are Josh Lichtenstein, an ERISA partner based in New York, and David Kirkner, a principal in our benefits and consulting group, also based in Boston. Today we're going to be talking about the recent settlement ending the long-running Oracle 401k fee litigation. The parties agreed to settle back in October 2019, the same day that trial proceedings commenced, and the terms of the settlement were disclosed on February 27th. Josh, can you provide us with a little background about the case and explain what was unique about this settlement? Of course, Dan. Oracle is one of the most recent examples from the wave of lawsuits that have been filed in recent years targeting 401k plan sponsors, generally alleging excessive fees and inappropriate fund selection. The Oracle complaint, which was filed in the U.S. District Court for the District of Colorado all the way back in 2016, alleged that the company breached its fiduciary duties under ERISA by failing to negotiate reasonable fixed-fee record-keeping and administrative services from its record-keeper, Fidelity, which resulted in losses to the 401k plan of more than $40 million. It is important to note that Fidelity was not a named defendant in the lawsuit. The plaintiffs also allege that Oracle and its 401k committee breached their fiduciary duties under ERISA by selecting and or retaining imprudent and unreasonably expensive mutual funds and investment options in the plan, which the plaintiffs alleged caused the plan to engage in prohibited transactions. Finally, the plaintiffs alleged that Oracle failed to monitor the performance of the other plan fiduciaries. The settlement in this case is interesting because beyond the $12 million of monetary relief, Oracle agreed to instruct Fidelity, its record keeper, in writing that in performing the previously agreed upon record keeping services for the 401k plan, it must not solicit current plan participants for the purpose of cross-selling proprietary non-plan products and services, including but not limited to individual retirement accounts, non-plan managed account services, life or disability insurance, other investment products, and wealth management services, unless those solicitations were in response to a request or expressed need by the 401k plan participant. Moreover, in the event that Oracle enters into a new record-keeping agreement with Fidelity or another record-keeper during the three-year settlement period, Oracle has agreed that it will include a contractual provision that will restrict any subsequent record keeper from soliciting current 401k plan participants for the purpose of cross-selling proprietary non-plan products and services. While there have been many settlements with corporate 401k plan sponsors over the last few years in connection with these allegedly excessive fees, restrictions on cross-selling are novel in the 401k world. Up until this point, plaintiff's firms have largely only sued colleges and universities for alleged mismanagement of their 403B plans based on this type of theory relating to cross-selling. Great. Thanks for those insights. David, do you think this settlement will affect a 401k plan sponsor that's either looking at hiring a new record keeper or is in the process of renewing its contract with its current one? I think it will, Dan. Cross-selling and the use of participant data are two emerging areas where plan sponsors are going to have to be much more vigilant. They will need to make sure that they fully understand how service providers will make use of this data. 
In other words, while up to now cross-selling might not have been addressed in the RFP process of a record keeper or other type of service provider to the plan, the Oracle settlement as well as the 403B settlements reached with John Hopkins and Vanderbilt suggest that the topic should be addressed more directly. As a specific example, a plan sponsor would know whether the record keeper offers a variety of individual investment products and services like IRAs, insurance, or annuities, and how it may market them to plan participants. Depending on what products and services the record keeper offers, plan sponsors may want to include explicit prohibitions and contracts on cross-selling and restrictions on sharing participant data even if some sharing is required to perform the record-keeping services for the plan. Failing to do so could leave the plan sponsor vulnerable to potential litigation down the road. Plan sponsors should also be aware that prohibitions on cross-selling could have a big impact on vendor pricing. That's because cross-selling is often priced, at least implicitly, into the contract it signs with the sponsor, since the revenues from non-plan products and services can help to offset more recent declining margins for record-keeping fees. But if the record-keeper is going to be prohibited from engaging in those activities, that could increase the direct cost of record-keeping fees paid by plan participants. Josh, what other impacts could this have on the record-keeping business? For example, could a cold call from a financial advisor who's employed by the record-keeper violate these cross-selling restrictions? That's a great question, Dan. I think this is a bit of a gray area of the law right now. While the Oracle settlement explicitly provides an exception for reverse inquiries, that is, where the record keeper is only marketing the non-planned products or services in response to a request or expressed need that comes from the planned participant. Absent an explicit exception like that, for other plans, it is unclear to me whether reverse inquiries could be a violation of this type of prohibition. Plan sponsors may want to ensure that their record keepers have a process in place for tracking and documenting how these types of reverse inquiry requests arise. Moreover, as we have been discussing, the legal theory motivating this settlement is that cross-selling could constitute a misuse of participant data and that that data could be a plan asset under ERISA. At this time, we don't have any guidance, either regulatory or in the case law, that makes it clear whether participant data is a plan asset. But in this current climate, and in light of new privacy regimes that have been adopted in states like California, intended to strengthen the privacy rights of individuals and consumers, there is definitely a risk that a court could be concerned about participant information under ERISA as well, and that such a court could find that the plan data is a plan asset. If that happened, cross-selling could be a prohibited transaction under ERISA, which would mean that the record keeper either would have to find an exemption to cover its use of participant data or would need to request a new exemption from the Department of Labor. Well, that's all the time we have. Thanks to both Josh and David for joining me here today. And thank you to our listeners. For more information on the topics that we discussed or other topics about 401k litigation risk mitigation, please reach out to Josh, David, or me. You can also subscribe and listen to other Ropes and Gray podcasts wherever you regularly listen to podcasts, including on Apple, Google, and Spotify. Thanks again for listening. 